business and people. Your host, Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Hi, everyone. This is Walt with the Business and People podcast. I really love doing these short introductions before the actual interview. So I'd love to hear what you think. Let me know in the comments or on a, on a message, whether you like these introductions. So you're just about to listen to uh, our interview with Aaron Taylor. Now, Aaron is a parent coach. And one of the things we talk about is how to blend parenting and business and being an entrepreneur together. Because it's about business and it's about people, it's a fascinating conversation about mixing those two. And I think there's some amazing tips in there for dealing with children. And if you're not a parent, for being able to communicate with others. And believe you me, the challenge of communication when it comes to children is one of the highest ones you can find. If you can master that, you'll be able to take that communication skill forward. This is the Business and People podcast. You're about to listen to our interview with Erin Taylor, a parent coach and best-selling author and business owner. Enjoy. This is a fascinating interview. I hope you get a lot out of it. Hi, everyone. This is Walt Bayless. This is the Business and People podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you with us today. We have a special guest, Erin Taylor. Now, Erin holds a master's degree in counseling psychology. She's also the best-selling author of Connection and Kindness, which is the key to changing the world through parenting. She's also founded Revolutionizing Life. She's a mother of four, of course, and she has come through an extraordinary journey to get to where she, are, where she is right now. Erin uh, is somebody that I'm really excited to speak to, especially in regards to parenting, business, linking the two together and being better in both spheres. So it is my great pleasure to introduce Erin Taylor. Erin, thanks so much for joining us with the show. Thank you, Walter. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's an amazing journey that you've been on, Erin, with the, the, the founding, I guess, of Revolutionizing Life with the book. And now you're a certified parent coach, coaching parents how to be better parents, which is, I think, one of the greatest leadership challenges that anybody faces. How has that all come together for you? That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> we start with the big ones. Let's get started straight off the bat. Wow. Well, I spent uh, a, I spent around 20 years working as a therapist with biological foster and adoptive families at an agency. And then I decided to go back to school and get certified as a parent coach. Okay. I've always had a passion to work with parents and families. I had a really <clears throat> magical childhood, which mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like most people have that luxury to tell that story, but my parents were terrific. I had great relationships with both of them. They really raised me to, they believed deeply in me. So they taught me to believe in myself. And so I've always had this belief that just this faith that I I will achieve whatever I set out to achieve. Mm. And they definitely planted that, that mindset in me. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And I knew from a young age that not everybody had that upbringing. Even as a child, I could look around. I knew that this was not common, Mm -hmm. but I felt very, very, passionate, even as a child, that somehow I wanted to do something in the world that would help other kids to have the experience that I have. Mm -hmm. And then I understood that the way to do that was to work with their parents. Do you find 
that now that you've done the, I guess, the uh, um, academic side of learning about parenting, have, do you find that what your parents did in the way they, they brought you up as a child was is ticking boxes in that academic side of things? Like, are you, do you look at your studies and think, wow, mum and dad did the great, you know, they really ticked these boxes along the way. Would you correlate the two? Well, they definitely checked all the boxes, checked the boxes that I would encourage parents to check. That's great. That gave you a great foundation for your learning then. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just, they just had an unshakable belief in me. And so they, they valued me as a person. They saw my uniqueness you know, the unique person that I was, Mm. they never tried to force me to conform to some idea that they had for me. They just kind of tried to stay out of my way and let me become who I was supposed to become. Fantastic. And That's what I try to help parents with now, because I meet so many kids and so many adults who had it planted in their heads that they're not good enough. Mm. You know, you have to, achieve X, Y, and Z in order to be worthy, in order for me to be proud of you, in order for me to, you know, accept you. And it's just not true. I mean, we're all worthy from the moment we take our first breath. We don't even have to do anything to earn it. We just, we just have value inherent just because we're here. Born worthy. Yeah. And so I, I desperately want to help parents to understand how important it is to to instill that understanding in their children. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Erin, from a personal standpoint, I I had a, a lovely childhood. I, like, really had a lovely, beautiful childhood. Mum and Dad did the greatest job that they could, right? And I, I have nothing but respect for the way that they raised myself and my brother. And yet, when you're saying that about feeling worthy it was very late into my 20s before i felt personally that um that i didn't have to earn their approval do you know what i mean like it was always about doing the right thing by mom and dad always about that um uh, this is not going to be good enough in their eyes the the day for me that it changed in other words the, the day that i suddenly felt hang on i'm okay i could look in the mirror and say i'm okay just the way i am Everything in my life from that point took a magic turn forward in, in a way of happiness, in a way of um, feeling like my place on this planet was, was there. And yet, again, I, I have to categorically say that my childhood was wonderful. And, I'm, and as a parent now, you know, I have two daughters. Uh, as a parent now, I wonder, is there, uh, is there something to be aware of because I'd like to think of myself as a good parent. Is there something to be aware of to help a child feel that they are worthy? I think that the answer to your question is to, well, there, there's been a lot of discussion and research and articles written about praise, praising a child. And so it's much more effective and gets uh, achieves the goal better. If instead of saying, Oh, I'm so proud of you. If you turn it around and say, 
wow, look what you did or achieved or created. You, you must be so proud of yourself. Oh, wow. Okay. I can see the change there. Yeah, absolutely. So talking, talking to them about their own belief in what they've achieved rather than my interpretation of that, which is irrelevant in, in terms of their life. I like it. That's very cool. I love it. So I didn't want to turn this into a personal counseling session, but I agree. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hopefully anybody that's listening can take that and, and understand what I'm trying to achieve there with, you know, w- that, that sense of praise. And it's so easy to do that as a parent to say, oh, you're so great. I'm so proud of you. Or, you know, even you tried your best and whatever uh, to be able to turn that into um, you should be so proud of yourself. Look at the hard work you put in to be able to get to that position. You know, you should be proud of yourself. I think that's a great, uh, you know, just even change of, of psychology. So that's very cool. Can I ask you, Aaron? Uh, in terms of a timeline, were you a parent first and then a business owner second, or how did the how did the timeline happen? Because you were employed for twenty years, you were saying, and then you moved into your own business. What was the timeline crossover there? I was already a parent when I started my own business. Okay, and I think my my youngest son was um, seven, six okay. or seven. Cool. All and right. So was twelve. You point. already had that um, that requirement uh, to be able to have to be a mother, be a parent, and at the same time start from scratch and go through that whole entrepreneurial journey. How did you juggle that? <laughs> moment by moment. Okay, good answer. <laughs> it requires, I think, to be a business owner and a parent requires, in order to do both of them well, it requires an extreme level of commitment, dedication, clarity, perseverance, organization. It's so easy to get pulled one way or the other. Mm. To be pulled because the kids need you Mm. or to be pulled because you need to work on things with your business. Mm. And there are times when you need to be more present with your kids because they need they need you for a period of time for whatever reason. Mm. And then there are times when you have to put more time and, and passion into your work, into your business, or it won't move forward. Yeah. And so I think learning how to walk that fine line between the two and, and nurturing, let's face it. A business is like having another child. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I completely so it's, it's kind of like, looking at your time, your commitments, and how you're going to honor nurturing all of them, your children and your business. Yeah, I agree. I, for anybody that's going through that, who's listening on the podcast, you might be in, in the car on the, the way to work or uh, you know wherever you might be listening to this, know that it does uh, get easier as the kids get older. What I found, again, purely personally, is that now, and my daughter's eight and 11 as of the day we're recording this, um, I recently had an event, like recently, last week, which was a very intense business week. And I was able to say to them, okay, guys, I'm sorry, but between this hour and this hour, I'm going to, I'll still be here if you need me because it was school holidays. So they were home as well. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. still be here, but you know, this is what I'm doing in the business. And they were completely absolutely fine to be able to leave me to that with no disturbance and in fact after those hours had passed they came and how was it daddy with you know how did you go they were excited about what we were doing in the business so for the for the parents who have very young children who don't quite have that capacity to understand when you need to be somewhere else please know that that's only temporary and that it, be with the kids when they're there because it does pass as you move in again that's a 
a personal <laughs> comment moving forward, Aaron. So, uh, Aaron, as you've gone from an employee to a business owner, and a lot of our audience are in that same bracket, what did you find that you had to, to learn uh, in that switch over? Uh, and again, that's probably, you know, a topic for a book in itself. But <laughs> where, where did you find the shortfalls and how did you deal with that? I'm giggling because when I started my business, I had no idea. I just hadn't thought of it. I had no concept of the different hats I would have to wear and the different areas of expertise I was suddenly going to have to acquire. When I was an employee, if I had a problem with my computer, I just called the IT department. Yeah. If I had a billing question, I just pushed it, to it over to the billing department. Yeah. <laughs> there were just people to send these things to, and they would just, you know, would go off my desk and go onto theirs, and I wouldn't think about it again. <laughs> but when you open your own business, you have to be, you have to know all kinds of tech, depending on what you're trying to do in your business. You have to know billing. You have to become an expert in marketing. Yeah. You have to know how to write well. You have to, like, there's just so many things you have to know. And there's so many In different... a 30-minute window. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. Or, or you have to be able to hire someone. Yeah. So I think, as I think about a new, newish entrepreneur, I don't, I discourage new entrepreneurs from farming out everything because I think it's valuable as the business owner to know mm. a little bit about all of it. If you're, if you're hiring someone to do the marketing, it's good to understand what should be done so that you know if what they're doing is proper. Yeah. If you're hiring someone to build your website, you don't necessarily have to become a website builder but it's important to kind of know how to work your way around the website because if you don't know how to make changes, then you're forever beholden to someone else and yeah. their time frame and their per hour cost to do the changes that you want to make. If you learn how to do it yourself, then you could do it in your time frame when you want and you're not beholden or at anyone's mercy. Yeah. And you don't have to be an expert at it. I mean, as you said, there, yeah. there are amazing people in taking that website building as just one tiny example of running a business. You don't have to be a graphics designer so long as you can understand the, the concept, as you said, be enough so that you can even uh, enunciate it to someone else so, so that you can actually say, I need it to look like this because I understand, you know, what's required. Somebody with better skills can add the polish so long as you can, you know, enunciate how to get to the point that you're looking for and, and understanding those basics of marketing and sales and recruitment and, you know, admin and all of those things, understanding the basics so that then you can say, this is the standard that I need when you're giving it to the next person, whether they be a, a contractor or an employee. Very, very cool. So I, I think every, um, I think everybody that opens their business, they get that registration certificate, right? So they've registered their LLC. They've done all that. I think it should come with hat pegs. So that they can actually put, you know, here's, here's your sales hat, here's your marketing hat, here's your, you know, admin hat. And you can have them all on your wall along with your certificate that now you're a yes. business owner. I completely agree. So now it would be remiss of me, Erin, not to spend some time on parenting with one of the world's leading is in parenting on the show with me. So would you mind talking shop for a minute? Is that okay? Sure. 
Okay, cool. So I think um, I'd, I'd like to start with, with your thoughts on some of the issues that you, you feel parents deal with when they have that, uh, that, that struggle. And I'm going to seed the conversation with the word communication so that we can say this is a business owner who's going through the stress and, you know, having that crazy entrepreneurial journey and here's a child that needs them and there's that, that I guess, combat for, for time. How does a parent, how does a parent who's an entrepreneur communicate in a better way with their kids so that they can have that, that equal understanding? Great question. I think it depends on the child's age. Okay. If the child is younger or children, if they're younger, it probably is just easiest to get childcare. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a family member, whether it's your spouse or significant other, the other parent, whether it's a babysitter, whoever it is, daycare, it's easier to, to just have another adult be in charge of them. Mm-hmm. And depending on your child, it might be better if you are not in the same building as your child. So mm-hmm. if you have a caretaker come over to your house to take care of them, it's not necessarily going to help you to get any work done if you're at home too. Yeah. Because they know where you are and they know how to find you. <laughs> yeah. And they'll always go to you. Yeah. So if they're younger, I encourage some kind of childcare and having it be not in the location where you are. Good advice. If they're older, I love what you said about your daughters, where you said, I'm doing this busy, I've got this busy thing coming. I'm really busy this week. I have this big event coming up and I am going to be tied up between this time and that time. And then they were excited and they wanted to hear how it went. So one of the things that I think is really cool about being a business owner and a parent is that when you let them into your world and let them know the things you're working on, if you, if you give them um, parameters like you did, you know, for these two hours, I need to be totally focused on this. So I'm going to make sure you have food and you are working on your homework or whatever. And you can't call my name between these two hours, but then when I'm done, I'll check in on you, something like that. And you tell them what you're do what you're doing. And it does allow them a chance to get into your world mm. and see kind of what you're doing and then to be excited for you. And then it also is modeling terrific behavior for them because I would venture to say or guess or hope that most entrepreneurs in the world are doing it because they love what they're doing. And so if you show up for work to work every day and you're excited about what you do, that is the most fabulous thing you can model for your kids so that you encourage them to grow up and find what they love so that they're excited to go to work every day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And um, I, I had that little bell go off in my head that said, if, if you're not excited about what you do, then change it. And you can not, I'm not talking about changing what you do specifically if you're in a position where you can't, but change the way you think about it or find, find the love that you used to have when you started it. Um, yeah, if you're not excited about what you do, it makes the days hard. Um, in that situation, Erin, see if I can put some context around the next question. In the situation where we're talking with a business owner, parent, uh, mother, father, whoever it might be, there's, there's incredible stress, it's, it's financial stress or pressure or whatever, and they find themselves snapping at the kids. 
And as a result, they hate themselves for that. They know they shouldn't have done it. And I was reading in the uh, the description with your book where you, a parent finds themselves yelling at the kids and then re- completely regretting that they've done that and not knowing how to deal with that situation. Is there any way that you could help someone who finds themselves there? Well, if it's an occasional thing, all parents, I've never met a parent yet, and I doubt I ever will, meet a parent who never loses their temper, never loses their cool, never raises their voice. It just doesn't. It's just not. It's not human. Yeah, right. So we all lose our cool from time to time. If it's an occasional thing, then I think it's very important for parents to go back to their child and apologize sincerely if they feel sorry about what they did and they're very remorseful to apologize to their child mm-hmm. and, and take responsibility. You know, I'm sorry that I yelled at you. I was totally out of line. That was not right of me to do at all. And I'm really sorry I did it. Mm. And I did it because I'm really busy right now with work or I'm stressed about this meeting that's coming up or whatever. And that has nothing to do with you. And I shouldn't have taken it out on you. And I was wrong. And I'm going to try really hard from now on not to do that anymore because it's not fair to you. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, cool. However, if you find that you're raising your voice and yelling all the time regularly Mm. and you realize, wait, I apologized Monday for yelling. I apologize Tuesday for yelling. I apologize three times Wednesday Mm. and I've already done it. And it's only nine o'clock Thursday morning. This is a problem. Yeah. Let's drill into that. So so I think it's important for the parent to do some Mm self-reflection and see what is under their skin and stressing them so much that they're just dumping it all over their child continuously. Yeah. It's never the child's fault that we're dumping on them or yelling at them, but that's even more important. The occasional raising of the voice, everybody does it. Make amends when you, when you mess up, Mm -hmm. you're modeling for your kids how to take responsibility for your actions and do what needs to be done to make it better. Yeah. If it's an ongoing problem, then you really have to look. So can we talk about that for a second? Because uh, again, reading a snippet from your book, which is called connection and kindness. And when we like, just if I, if I can, I'll just read this little bit out. Uh, How many parents do you know who struggle with their kids when it comes to homework or report cards or chores or mealtimes, bedtimes, how many parents are frustrated that their child doesn't listen to them? And then in the next little bit, push to the brink, parents often find themselves yelling, well, not wanting to, but maybe they don't know another way. Wasn't this whole parenting thing supposed to be more fun? Do you, do you think that a parent who, who's experiencing that, who finds themselves in a frustration, I can't get through to them, I can't, I can't have a conversation with my child. Do you have a structured way to be able to take that person through through some, I guess, different ways of approaching a scenario? Well, it's interesting that you used the phrase a structured way. And this is something else I'm passionate about. There are millions of parenting books out there that will lay out a recipe, a step-by-step plan. If, if they're doing this, then you do this, this, and this. Those things are bogus. And all of those books 
excuse me, should be thrown in the trash yeah. or no, actually recycled. They should be yeah. recycled. <laughs> <laughs> recipe formulaic recipes don't work because every child is different. Every parent is different and every situation is different. Mm. You cannot just, you know, what works for your neighbor's child is not necessarily going to work for yours. Yeah. And what your neighbor is able to do or how they're able to work through a problem might not work for you because it's not your style or it's mm. not comfortable to you. Mm. So the structured formulaic approach, it doesn't exist. At least the successful one, it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's more about really uh, taking the time to learn and understand who you are as a person mm. and who your child is as a unique person. Mm-hmm. And then trying to figure out what works in that situation. And as a parent coach, this is what I do with my clients all the time because there's no formula I can hand them and say, here, just do these five steps and you'll be good. Yep. We have to really look at the situation, the context, what the problem is, what context it's happening in, how often it is, how complicated it is what the parent, how the parent is showing up in that situation, how the child is showing up. And we really have to kind of look at all these different moving parts Mm. to get a handle on what it actually is and then figure out how the best way is for the parent to move forward to change the dynamic so that this issue goes away. I think it, I think it, I really love what you said before about it's never the child's fault in that situation because a child is a child. The parent has a, a different skill set to be able to deal with that. And then to move from there to say um, it's about finding out what's inside of you that's causing this block. Can I, can I ask you, Erin, in your uh, ability or in your work with parents, you would have had the opportunity, I'm sure, to hear from both sides. So what I would imagine, and this is only, again, uh, probably hearsay, is that as a parent going through this, the peer group that a parent would be talking to would also be parents. And they would be saying, well, you've got to be harder and you've got, you know, whatever you, you would be echoing back the same information that you're getting because you're dealing with it at a parent level. Can I ask you when you have the opportunity to work with families and you have that situation where the parents find themselves yelling because they can't get through to the children, blah, 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 blah. blah. What's the kid's side of that? What, What are they feeling on the other side? Disconnected from their parent. Disconnected, okay. They feel like their parent doesn't understand them. Mm-hmm. They may feel frustrated with their parent. They may feel hopeless. Mm. Like, this has always been this way. It's never going to change. They, clam up. they sometimes clam up. Right. They don't turn to their parent or rely on their parent because they mm. don't feel like their parent is a safe and steady anchor in their lives. And Mm. so they might turn to their friends. They might just hold it all inside. Mm. None of it is good. As a parent hearing that, that's heartbreaking that the the kid would be feeling disconnected, you know, clamming up, don't want to go to my parent because they don't understand me. How can a parent break through that. And again, I know that you're saying that there's no systematic approach. It's about understanding who you are and about understanding the, who the child is. Um, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> guys, please understand Erin is a parent coach. Her whole business is built on 
on doing this professionally. So I'm, I'm not hopefully taking any uh, money out of your your uh, practice coming forward, Aaron. Um, but so guys, if you if you want to hook up with Aaron and, and actually uh, go through some workshops and some some coaching about being a better parent, Aaron is available at Aaron-Taylor.com, and she is the the best-selling author. Um, and, uh, you know, she can really go through some of this stuff with you. Connection and Kindness is the book. So it's erin-taylor.com. So I'm not taking people out of your practice. What I want to do is kind of just give a snippet of hope to people who find themselves in that situation. Um, is there always a way to communicate in that environment? I believe that there is. And I think the first step a parent can take because I certainly don't want to leave anyone feeling hopeless. Mm. I think there's always hope. Mm. And there's always a reason to keep trying and keep striving and keep trying to improve. And so when you're in a sticky situation with your child that is not going well, you guys aren't seeing eye to eye, there's a power struggle, the child's talking back, they're not listening, they're not doing whatever they're supposed to do, and you guys, and you know that you are disconnected and you can't get through to them and you don't know what to do, when you find yourself in that situation, this is the one across the board I think I can offer. It is so beneficial to just go to your child and say, you know, the way things have been going between us lately, it doesn't make me feel good. I, I don't like it. I don't like that we're getting not getting along or fighting or arguing or yelling at each other. Or I don't, you know... I'm upset with you. You're talking back to me, whatever it is. I don't, I don't like it that way. Yep. You're my child. I love you. And, and I want to, I want us to be on the same team. I'm, I'm here to help you. And instead we just keep banging heads over this. So can we, can we sit down and try and work this out and, and change it? Because I'm not enjoying what's happening and I bet you're not enjoying it either. Mm. And most of the time, if you, if you pr- approach a child like that, they're going to be shaking their head and they're going to be saying, I don't like it either, mom. I don't like it either, dad. And if you're being vulnerable and honest and genuine and you go to your child and say that, it's, you have a much greater chance of, lowering their defenses because you're bringing your authentic self instead of your, you know, armored up defensive ego ridden self Mm. power struggling self, instead of bringing, showing up to your child like that, you're showing up in your, your raw authenticity. Mm. When they see that from you, they're going to respond differently. Yeah. It's lowering that defenses on both sides. It's, it's, it's coming and saying, come with me together rather than, you know, forcing that, forcing that hand. I like it really, Erin, thank you. So um, for, for parents who are, who find themselves in that situation, you know, understanding who the child is, um, I think, you know, and what they are hearing back from you is a, is a really great step forward and being able to communicate like that saying, how can I, how can I work with you better? We, we, we want to achieve this goal. What, what do we need to do together to be able to get there? Not just, this is what you need to be able to do, which is, which is really cool. Is there, um, again, with, as a parent of girls who are coming up into this age, what I keep hearing is that the teenage years are nightmare. Like everybody that knows that my girls are coming into, into that age group say to me, oh, you're in for a tough time or, you know, something along that way. Is it always the case? 
I'm, I'm, no. I'm asking for hope now. <laughs> no, no. I, it makes me so sad when I hear other parents say that to parents of adolescents or, or pre-adolescents or younger, because it's just, it's just terrible. Yeah. The teen years, I personally love teenagers and I have loved them since I was a teenager. I loved working with them as a therapist. So I love working with them now. I love having them. I've got a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 17-year-old. I love the teenage years. I think they're awesome. Have my kids been perfect? Absolutely not. We've had our challenges and our struggles and our hurdles to work through, but oh my gosh, teenagers are the most fascinating creatures. They think deeply about things. They're passionate about things they care about that matter to them. Their their opinions about the world are starting to take shape. They think on a different level than younger kids. And they're kind of like adults, but they're kind of like, like raw adults, you know, right. because they don't have the life experience, but they're starting to gain it. And you don't have to censor your conversations with a teenager the way you do with a four-year-old. I think teenagers are fabulous. And so this notion that, you know, you better buckle your seatbelt because your, your kids are almost teenagers and your, your life is about to be over. That's a bunch of hooey. I don't even like that. I'm I think teenagers are awesome. And if you, if you can embrace the teenage years and, and go into it, the issue is it's fear. Right. Parents are afraid of the teenage years because other parents have put that fear in them. Yeah. So if you can just enter that 13th birthday, when you sing happy birthday to your daughter and she turns 13, if you can just have your arms wide open and embrace it for the fun adventure it's going to be, your your whole energy about her and them becoming teenagers will be completely different. Completely. I can feel it already. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that, that I think, and again, this is just purely from, from what's happening around, uh, one of the things I feel uh, parents of kids in that age bracket struggle with a lot is the, the advent of social media. Of course, because as a parent of a, of a, of a child of that age, social media wasn't part of my childhood. And, and I know that people listening that, that it may have already started to be when they were children. It's not something that we grew up with, but something that I see as a, as a real concern for parents, Erin, is that the kids get involved in social media. And of course there's that, um, that closed wall around of, of the chat going on between a group of friends and whatever. And the parents have that concern about what's happening inside of that bubble. And is my child okay in that world? Do you, have you had to, I guess, adjust um, the, your parent coaching as this um, evolution of social media has moved through? Absolutely. A 100%. Yeah. Because when I started working with families, like you said, 20 years ago, they didn't even have cell phones, let alone smartphones, let alone social media and the internet and everything. So it was just really back then, it was just whether they were spending too much time talking to their friend on the phone, you know, but it's a whole different animal now. Mm. And one of the things I encourage parents to do is when they, you know, to, to try and put the proper 
parental controls on internet devices in your home to the degree that you can, because there are tons of, of these applications and software things out there. Mm-hmm. So do your research and find the thing that works best for you and your family and put it on there. And then when you do decide to get your child a smartphone or and or let them on open accounts on social media, it's important to let them know that you own the phone and so you have the right to look at the phone whenever you want to. Mm-hmm. And same goes with social media. I encourage parents to have the sign in the login information for their kids, not just to friend their kids on these platforms, but to have the logins so that they can get into that app and see what it is their, their kids are doing Mm. and saying and who they're connected to and all that kind of stuff. The way I, the way I kind of stumbled through figuring this out with my older son is when he got the phone, his first, you know, smartphone, I said exactly that. I, your dad and I reserve the right to look at the phone whenever we want. We need to make sure you're conducting yourself appropriately, that you're safe, that no one's taking advantage of you, you know, all that stuff. And so I checked his phone every single day for a period of time, maybe a couple of weeks. And then once I saw that he was handling himself properly and things were good, then it went to, you know, twice every other day, twice a week, once a week, once a month, every few months. Yeah. And so as he established trust, built his my trust in him, mm. I stretched the time period out, mm. letting him know that at any point, if I had any red flags about anything, if I got suspicious that anything was going on, I'd get that phone immediately and we would go back to square one. Yep. And we had to do it a couple of times, you know, just Making choices sure. that kids make. Yeah, definitely. And seeing the, the uh, conclusion of those choices coming through is an important lesson as we, as we know. So that, that um, uh, I guess, interaction of parents and children with that social media is, again, about communication about establishing the boundaries and the ground rules. Uh, and I'm sure that there are people listening, Erin, that may or have already passed the, um, the initial stage. So in other words, hey, I've got someone who's, ha- my child's had a phone or an iPad or whatever for the last three years and I'm already outside of the bubble. Is there a way that I can get back in? Like I didn't put the boundaries in place early enough. I didn't realize how important it was. Um, have I lost it? Am I, am I behind the race? Can I, can I regain that, that um, uh, bubble with my child? That's a great, that's a great question. And it is a little more challenging if you've already kind of given them the phone and full access and you don't check on anything. In that case, you kind of have to, again, there's no set formula. There's no recipe that I can give. If you have concerns about your child and what they're doing and how they're conducting themselves, or if someone's, you might think that someone's mistreating them, I think it's important to go back and say, I have these concerns X, Y, and Z, and I want to talk to you about them. And then kind of work your way through it that way. Yeah. And then depending on what the situation is, it, it might be appropriate for the parent to say, you know, I, I kind of made a mistake here. 
Yep. When I gave you this phone, I gave you full access. I didn't get any of your sign-in accounts. I, I didn't ask for any of it. And I realized that as a parent, that was a mistake mm-hmm. because I gave you free reign and it, it wasn't the right time for me to do that. So mm-hmm. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I'd like to kind of take a few steps back here. And I know you're going to hate it, but I feel like it's really important to do that. And here's why, you know, whatever the reasons are. And then just kind of work out something rather than coming in heavy handed and saying, you know what, that's it. You had free reign, no more. Yeah. That doesn't help. Yeah. Give a, give an opportunity for, I guess the, the um, trust to be regained, but understanding that it's going to be a process rather than an immediate. Cause if, if you go down the immediate path, you're going to face that, that backlash and it's going to be, you know, a, a phone taken out from somewhere else and found under a pillow that you didn't even know existed. So yeah, good, good way to go. Like just establish that communication and, you know, apologize mistakes and move forward in the same way as we, as we do in an adult environment. Um, Aaron, I'm very conscious of your time. I've probably taken up too much of it already. Guys, again, I just want to say Aaron is a parent coach. So she is a coach of parents. And, and I love what you say with, with the book, Aaron, where it's the key to changing the world through parenting. And as I, as I gave you the introduction, what I said was being a parent, in my opinion, is one of the best leadership opportunities that you have to be able to bring that next generation of people through and into the world. As a, as a parent coach, and again, conscious of your time, uh, as a parent coach, do you feel that parents doing their job well with the children are making a difference to the world? A thousand percent. The parents that I've worked with have come to me for a variety of different challenges and stresses and issues in their family. And when they start, when we work together and they start to have these light bulb moments and start to see not only their child differently, but see parenting differently and their job as a parent differently the slightest shifts, kids are really resilient and responsive. And the slightest shift that a parent makes almost comes back exponentially in the child's response. Wow. So when parents take these steps, one step at a time to, to reduce the yelling, to, to show up in a different way, to really start to try to see their child for who they are, when they start taking these steps, it's like somebody turned the room, the light on in a dark room. Everything changes, everything. And kids are so forgiving for the most part of their parents. If a parent comes to a child with genuine remorse and sorrow for how they've behaved, nine times out of 10, the child will forgive them on the spot. It's okay, mom. It's okay, dad. I know you were under a lot of stress or I know things have been really hard for you. It's okay. Kids are so forgiving. Yeah. So yes, I definitely think this is a way we can change the world for the better. I love it. So guys, Erin is Erin-Taylor.com. I'll make sure that you've got the link there as well. She is a parent coach, as as we mentioned, the best-selling author uh, of the, the book Connection and Kindness. And I think the ability to learn the skill of parenting, being able to take that 
communication and connection forward with the smallest humans on the planet is something that serves everybody well. So again, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it and value it. I know that you've got the family in the background there. I heard the dogs and I'm, I'm really looking forward to you getting back into, into them this evening. So again, thank you so much for your time, guys. Make sure you look up Erin, tap into some of the resources that she's got on the site and uh, really start to move down a journey of getting better in every way. We're not just talking about business. We're talking about people, and we're able to combine those two things together in multiple different ways. So, again, Erin, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Walter. It was such a pleasure to have this time with you. Awesome. Thanks, Erin. See you soon. Bye. Hey everyone, it's Walt and thanks so much for listening to the episodes on the podcast. We really love bringing these interviews to you and I hope you're getting a lot out of them. We've designed the podcast to really help and to engage with everybody out there. So you could help us by simply leaving us a comment or a review, subscribing on iTunes. Head over there now, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us. It helps more than you could possibly believe. Do that now and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.